Caution. Learning in progress. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Smarter Every Season. My name's Clay. I'll be your host today. Today, I've got Nate in the studio with me. Nate, how we doing? We're doing good, Clay. How about yourself? Doing well. Doing well. Sounds like today we're going to talk about some ground engaging review. Kind of talk about what we covered in training and brush up on that. Yeah, uh, this pretty, is the last episode, isn't it? Of yeah. The, of the training review. Of the training reviews. And I think it's our last shop hack as well, if I remember right. Yeah, we may we may bring those back, do some more interviews, but yeah, yeah as of right now, I think we're we're wrapping that up as well. Yeah, so it's exciting times, getting ready to head uh, straight on into spring. Calls are picking up and things are getting busy around here, so we're excited about that. Um, we've got some new guests with us today. I'll let them introduce themselves. Hey, Brian Jackson here. Um, I was uh, part of the ground engaging training that took place. Uh, over the winter. And Brian, what's, what's your role here at Precision Planting? Um, so I am also in product support, um, work a lot with the meters, um, and then seed tube, speed tube. Gotcha. We also got Scott here. Hey, guys. Glad I could be here. First time on the podcast. I don't know if I should be nervous or excited or what. Yes. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> um. So also part of the support team and have a lot of uh, experience with furrow force and closing the furrow coming after the row unit there. Cool. Good stuff, guys. We're really, really excited to have you guys. I know you're both fairly new to the podcast, but it's good to have different voices and different faces on. So, Absolutely. So the ground engaging class at, uh, at winter training. Let's kind of move front of the row unit to the back of the row unit. So who wants to start us off talking about like our row cleaners? What'd you guys cover in row cleaners? And I guess actually, Scott, you were, you were more a part of the liquid group than you were ground engaging, but you're a jack of all trades. So yeah, to be fair, I was just kind of a backup for training, but, um, and, and why, needed, needed why to that? be aware of, why was that Scott? Why were you a backup? <laughs> well, this wasn't the real reason, but I was a little immobile during oh, okay. training. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. Took a game of knockout a little too hard. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Let's dive right into reveal. Yeah. So, um, Wendy is our reveal product support lead. Um, so, she did the cleaning or reveal portion of the training um, in this, this winter. So she talked a lot about different types of row cleaners, whether that being um, and, and how to set them, things to look for. Uh, she talked about fixed row cleaners versus floating, versus floating uh, with clean sweep, floating with just treader wheels, and kind of all the differences that you might see on a planner. Um, then she got into reveal and talked about things we're looking for for setting it. How are we um, in the field? setting it, making sure we're not plowing too much, but making sure we're getting some of that residue off the top before we, we uh, create the furrow. Yep. Yep. And, you know, one thing we talk about a lot with row cleaners is there's always risk and reward. And so I think you kind of went into a little bit of we are after the reward of cleaning that trench and or cleaning that seed bed, but we always run the risk of creating a trench. And, and if we get a, a large pounding rain, we can crust and things like that. Uh, what else do we look out for whenever we're talking row cleaners? What are some 
some best practices or helpful tips in terms of setting row cleaners. You can kind of go through, you know, not much to set on a fixed row cleaner other than your height, but then when we start talking about floating and, and reveal, what are those different setup things and what are things to look out for? Yeah, so um, like you said, not much to set on a fix. Most of them are a pin adjust or a screw adjust where you don't usually get out of the cab too many times to set those. Um, but kind of rule of thumb is what most people will say is you want the wheel spinning somewhere between 70 to 80% of the time. If it's spinning 100% of the time, chances are you're plowing quite a bit um, in different scenarios or different topography and things like that. So that's kind of the goal or the rule of thumb with a fixed. Floating, we want them engaged a little bit more, um, but we really have to watch out for plowing too much. If we're too aggressive, maybe I'm just running a, a floating row cleaner with no control or no clean sweep. Chances are I'm going to be running a little heavy, maybe moving a little bit of too much, too much soil. I'd like to try to just pick the residue off the top, knowing that if I'm... Um, in any sort of conditions where they're, you know, conventional tillage or I am incorporating the residue during tillage, I have to remember that I'm not going to get all of that residue out when I go to, to run the planter through. Yep. yep. And so that's what we're looking for on, on a floating along with reveal. Reveal's the same way. I can't incorporate residue and expect reveal to get it out. Yep. So I'm just trying to do the best job of cleaning in front of my row unit without moving too much soil for the risk, like you were saying, of having a pounding rain where then I wash in soil and now I've got an uneven emergence because of uneven depth. Like that's one thing. There's also the, the risk of I'm plowing too much and I'm getting into my seed bed where my seed is going to be placed um, and that can cause a lot of issues too. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, like this morning, I was on the phone with uh, Caleb Stuber, RM, down in Texas, and we were talking about some different things that we had had some, some trouble with, and we were working through some of that, and he brought up about how aggressive they run row cleaners down there. So for guys down in Texas, you know, they're running a, a row cleaner so aggressive that that's their tillage. Mm -hmm. Like, that's their primary tillage. Mm -hmm. That's how they're getting to moisture. And so it was just interesting to hear different management, you know, yep. in different parts of the world. But – uh one other thing I wanted to touch on as far as row cleaners go is where where do we apply a, a wide treader versus a narrow treader? And then in terms of reveal, where do we where do we start as far as, you know, a, a downforce and depth correlation? Where where do those play in? And when do we run a treader on reveal? I can tackle that one. So the treader wheels with, in general, I guess, comparing a, a wide to a narrow, typically if your conditions are, um, you know, potentially a lot looser, kind of fluffier soil, that wider treader wheel can provide a little bit more of a footprint for that row cleaner, give it a little bit more flotation and kind of keep those tines from digging in too deep. Um, compared to the narrow. So a narrow, you know, typically that treader wheel on a, a standard row cleaner is to help set your tine engagement a little bit. But that's one of the main differences from a wide, using a wide treader wheel versus a narrow Yep. there. So, yep. Um, and then when you talk about reveal and getting it set up and, um, you know, set for success for the conditions you're in, there's really... 
we've got some great documentation out there that kind of walks through the different depth settings. There's four different spots where you can set that uh, internal gauge wheel for reveal. That's one nice thing that's quite a bit different about it compared to other row cleaners out on the market. We're controlling that time depth or engagement from behind those cleaning wheels on a clean surface. So you get a lot more consistent uh, engagement with your, your actual cleaning wheels there. Um, but as far as setting it, you know, we've got some general recommendations depending on conditions and environment you're in, but it's got a lot of flexibility to be adjusted and changed for different conditions too. So, All right. Well, I think we've got row cleaners pretty much covered. Um, the next thing that you know, kind of the logical next step is is furrow creation, and that's something that we're pretty passionate about here at Precision Planning. We spend a lot of time talking about furrow creation, especially out at the PTI farm and in our different presentations. You know, that's a big part of what we do. So I'll start off with Brian. Like, kind of give us the rundown of when you're at home. You know, I know you guys farm uh, up north of Peoria a little bit, and when you're looking and evaluating a furrow at home, what are you looking for? Yeah, so... Um First thing that I'm looking for is depth. Mm -hmm. Like, am I planting at a good depth consistently that is in moisture? Um, or am I losing depth potentially too? Like, those are the things that I want, I'm, I'm looking for. After I get my depth at a good depth that I'm, that I'm shooting for, um, I want to start to look at what do my side, what do the side of my furrow look like? What are my sidewalls doing? Are they collapsing in? Or are they standing up good or are they slicked? Am I running too heavy of a downforce and potentially um, going to cause some compaction around the seed? Yeah. So when we're talking about, you know, holding the trench open, I know you mentioned this. If you're watching and you're seeing the trench collapse, what would be the negative impact of that? Yeah, so I would have, um, depending on when my seed hit the bottom, I could have a shallow planted seed um, or... I just could just have dry soil around my seed, which is going to cause uneven emergence. Yep. yep. And so goal there would be if I am getting a lot of collapse in, it's probably a little bit drier. I can try to put a little bit more weight on my gauge wheels and try to hold that or, or displace some of the air pockets that are in the soil and hopefully get it to stand up a little better. And that plays into what you were talking about earlier of checking to make sure you have that consistent depth. Because mm -hmm. if we're collapsing in, I mean, our depth could be all over the place yep. inadvertently. So if we if we created a trench, we didn't slick the sidewalls, it held itself open, what else can we do to improve planter performance? And I think something that's been around for quite literally longer than Nate and I have been alive, um, you know, we talk about Keaton seed firmers. Mm-hmm. So what's the advantage of having a Keaton? Scott, what you got for us? So, well, we really need the expert in here talking about it, but um, it'll be Roger on our team. But the Keaton, its primary focus is to, um, you know, come through it's behind seed placement and then really put some, a little bit of pressure on the seed to get it down to the bottom of the furrow. So you're not leaving a... Uh, air gap underneath the seed. You're creating that good seed to soil contact, hence the name, a Keaton seed firmer. Um, so that's, you know, that's primarily what it's there for. Now, obviously, if you're, you know, getting a lot of air under the seed or you're 
seeing that W bottom in the trench. There's some planter maintenance um, that you need to look at there from the opening disc standpoint and how those are shimmed or if they're getting worn out and need replaced. Um, there's some extra uh, items that would need to be addressed there. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I was going to say, Scott brought up a good point about planter maintenance. It's hard to talk about any one of these without bringing up planter maintenance and talking about that. Absolutely. I mean, you, you, we talk about uh, losing depth. I mean, that comes into play a, a lot with your uh, disc opener wear um, and your depth assembly linkage and all of that. Um, so, yeah, planter maintenance is one of the first things you want to definitely look at. Yep. Yeah, a quote that stuck with me that I heard uh, last summer was, how can you expect an above-average yield if you have below-average equipment? Mm-hmm. So, like, you're only going to get as good of a yield as what your equipment can give you. Mm-hmm. So planter maintenance definitely ranks very high on the list of things to be aware of. Yep. 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 And that's front to back. You know, we want to talk about everything from starting off by leveling the bar first day in the field, um, checking uh, tire pressure on the planter and make sure the planter's not leaning one way or the other, checking parallel arm bushings. Like Brian said, ch- checking your depth linkage. Uh, shimming your gauge wheels tight to the disc opener so we're not getting those dry clods falling down in the trench. Keep moving back into the closing system. We want to make sure that the closing system is is making ground contact. We want to make sure that, you know, on, on a stock or a, more of a standard closing system that, you know, that spring hasn't broken or things like that that we don't catch all the time. Uh, make sure that those uh, tires are set in such a way that they actually intersect with the seed placement so we can actually close the trench and, and maintain some moisture in that area. So there's a lot of different aspects of planter maintenance that, uh, to Brian's point, all of this that we're doing here at Precision Planning is somewhat nullified by poor planter maintenance. You can have all the technology in the world, but you're setting yourself up to fail mm-hmm. without planter maintenance. So good thing to touch on. There's there's a lot of, lot of good resources that we have out, you know, I think on the cloud as far as planter maintenance goes. Keeping, keeping on with this trend and moving forward, I think the last thing that I wanted to, or last section I wanted to touch on is closing. And I think this is probably one of the more common things that we get questions on in terms of setup uh, in support of where do I start? Because um, there's a lot of variability with, for example, our closing system for O-Force. There's a million different ways you could set it. So I know it can be a little bit overwhelming, so that's kind of what we wanted to touch on. And I know... Brian's group did a great job in training of, of going over that, but if you weren't able to make it here to Tremont for training, we'd love to touch on that stuff. So I'll kind of let Scott take over. Scott was a product lead for Pro Force for a number of years, so he's pretty well acquainted with it. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, got quite a bit of experience with it. Um, <clears throat> when you think about the closing system on your planner, you really want to want it to accomplish kind of three things. Um, you want it to essentially eliminate any air pockets around the seed or slotting, so fully closing that furrow around the seed. The next thing would be creating good seed-to-soil contact, kind of managing that soil density around the seed, and then creating a mellow path to the surface. So it doesn't get thought of a lot, but your closing system can also add some compaction in that environment around the seed. If you don't have the right closing wheels on for the conditions you're in or the soil type or your spring setting clay, as you mentioned, if that's set too heavy for the conditions, that 
certainly can also add some potential compaction. So, but those three things are really what you want to evaluate your closing system on. You know, is it fully closing the furrow? Is it managing the soil density and then creating a mellow path to the surface? When I think a lot of times around here we throw out, we want to make it look like we were never there. So how can we set our closing system up to do that? Yeah, so on a standard closing system, um, really doesn't matter what uh, wheel configuration we have. Um, our goal is to break the sidewalls down. Um, so we basically eliminate that furrow. The hard part about it then is with a single-stage closing wheel is coming back through and managing the soil density on the same pass. Um, and that was why, with the way Scott was describing that with furrow force, that's why it's a two-stage system where we can break the furrow, fracture the sidewalls, even do some lifting um, and fracturing action with the first-stage wheels. If you look at them, uh, there's some camber plus the concavity of the, the first-stage wheels adds that inward pressure, and that's what's doing the breaking of the furrow. And then when we roll through with the second-stage wheels, that's what's setting the density. So on a wet year... I'm going to want to run it light. It's just kind of like a planter when I'm when I'm running through with my um, my depth, my planter gauge wheel weight. A lot of times on wetter soils, I'm going to run it a little bit lighter so I don't compact the soil. Uh, same thing with closing system. When it's wetter, I probably want to take a little weight off, making sure I'm getting to depth with my first stage wheel in, in case like furrow force, um, but I'm not adding extra compaction. Drier season. I can actually run a little bit heavier to try to retain some of that moisture, like Scott was trying uh, was like Scott was explaining over there. Mm -hmm. Scott, maybe if you want to kind of go through some uh, some updates and things like that that we've done to Furrow Force, that nothing necessarily new and you know groundbreaking stuff, but just a reminder of things that we have out there for dealers to use and to kind of help if they do struggle, things that we can use. Yeah, certainly. So <clears throat> as Clay mentioned, there's. Furrow force can be a little bit overwhelming if the first time you see it and get it out in the field and take a look at it because there are so many different uh, knobs or adjustments that can be made to that system. Um, but that's also a good benefit, too. If you have a lot of varying conditions or in different environments, you can set that to work well across all the environments where, again, typically with a a more traditional closing system, you might be able to find a, a wheel combination that works well in part of your acres. But then if you have different tillage types, different soils across the operation, it's hard to find one that fits all of those well. Um, so that's where furrow force can be a very, very valuable across a lot of varying conditions there. Um, one of the first things you want to look at when setting that system up is the wheel uh, spacing or kind of how they're staggered on the first stage wheels. On the main casting there, there's kind of five different spots on each side that those wheels can be installed on. The default recommendation um, is kind of right in the middle of that casting, but not directly across from each other. They are staggered just a little bit. Uh, from front to back on those wheels. So most conditions, that's going to work uh, very well there. Uh, rockier conditions or very clotty soil, you can stagger those out even farther just to help some of that residue or rocks kind of flow through there. 
Um, we've seen that be a big benefit in those environments. So that's really the first step in setting up furrow force. Then your depth, again, it can be adjusted, you know, based on planting depth, but typically we want to have that set about a half inch above planting depth. So, you know, around here, if somebody's planting corn at two inches, start out with your furrow force first stage wheels set at an inch and a half. Um, that's usually a good rule of thumb. And then, you know, dig, evaluate that furrow, that closing system. If you see that it's not quite closing it, you can make some adjustments to that depth a little closer to the seed. But typically, we don't ever want to have that set below planting depth because you could disturb the seed mm -hmm. in those environments. Yeah. I, I also like what you said um, about if I have a just a single-stage closing system, there are in some scenarios some soil types where it does close well. Mm -hmm. um, and we tried to show that in training. We had different soil types with different moistures. Um, and then we ran two or three different types of single stage wheels, basically just to show in this area where it was a little wetter, um, stickier soil running a, um, a rubber wheel on one side and a spike on the other. It didn't close very well. Sometimes it would actually pull some of the, the dirt up, um, in the soil and basically disturb around my um, my seeding environment. And then in other areas where it was a very um, good moisture, good, loose, friable soil, I run a dual rubber wheel over it and it closed very well. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we see a lot. The thing is, then I'd go through with furrow force and it would close well in all, all of those different soil types and different moistures. Yep. So that's where you see a huge benefit, like mm -hmm. you were saying, Scott. Yeah, yeah. And then kind of, again, what really sets it apart from other uh, systems out there is the ability then to come through with the second stage wheels, as Brian was mentioning earlier, and adjust the pressure being put on by those. So kind of managing that soil density. So if it's, you know, wetter conditions and you're kind of pushing being out in the field, you can loosen up that or lighten up that air pressure so you're not adding any extra weight from the closing system or on the opposite is very dry or clotty, you can add more pressure to try and help uh, break up those clods or um, compact that soil a little bit to preserve what moisture is there potentially around the seed. So having the ability to adjust that kind of on the fly from the cab is very valuable and also being able to uh, have a sensor on that system to see how much weight uh, is being carried by that second stage. So again, think of that relation to downforce management for the row unit. Your opening discs are the very similar to the first stage wheels on the closing system, and then the gauge wheels on the row units would be like your second stage wheel on furrow force. So that interaction and how we're sensing or measuring that weight on the closing system there. Yeah. Good deal. Good deal. Awesome. One more thing before we wrap up here brian do you have any stories or conversations that really stuck out to you from from training um i would say just our approach from training it was um it was kind of product focused but we didn't focus all on our products mm -hmm. so uh because we talked a little bit about fixed a little bit about floating row cleaners 
And then we tossed and reveal and talked through and showed how to set that while we ran it on the track. Um, and that was one thing that we tried to do uh, a little bit more about. That was one thing that, that dealers asked for was how do I set reveal in different, different situations? Um, furrow creation, we just kind of went over. It's important to talk about um, as far as seed placement goes, and we kind of have to talk about it in row cleaner and closing training. Um, so that was a little bit quicker. And then the last part was closing, which we talked quite a bit about. And it wasn't just how to set furrow force, which was a question and why we added that in there. Um, but we wanted to talk through, if you go to a planner and they've just got a single stage wheel, what am I looking for and how to set that? Um, and so, yeah, we had a lot of different, uh, a lot of different conversations in different areas. Texas was one of them. The way they will configure furrow force planting cotton um, differently than we will configure it for planting corn. Same with row cleaners. They, like you said, uh, Clay, they're going to try to move more soil to get to moisture. That's something in the Midwest that's like you you don't want to do. Yeah. Like that's, that's something that yeah. you've always been kind of taught. Yeah. A, a lot of the, the, the other thing we like about it is um, – it's not just us teaching the dealers, it's the dealers teaching us, and then we can pass that information on to other dealers. Uh, one thing as far as rocks go, you know, it's a ground-engaging system for a force. It has a potential to pick up rocks. In some areas, it's, it, it does. Um, and so we've done a lot of things, like stagger the wheels, uh, adding wedge kits to take a little camber out. Um, but one thing that that stuck out to me as something I hadn't heard of was actually setting your max pressure to a lower pressure. And so I'm going through the field. I hit a rock automatically. I'm, I'm going to, my, my furrow force comes up. I'm going to add air automatically into the bag and it's going to shove my furrow force down, potentially catching a rock. Mm. And so, um, what I heard from a few different dealers and they said it works very well is setting my max just above a little bit what I'm running for my pressure so that when I engage that rock, it's got a cap or it's got a max. It will add a little air, hit its max, go over the rock, and then go back to, to a good depth again. Yeah. Um, so, again, it's not just us teaching, teaching the dealers. We're learning things, too, um, in every session. Yeah, absolutely. So. Absolutely. Well, I think we've kind of gone full circle on this deal, and I think that at the end of the day, there's one thing that sticks out in all of these different categories here, and that's to dig. At the end of the day, we still have to dig. Mm -hmm. If you call in to support and you tell us that your V-drives aren't working, what's the first question we're going to ask? Did you dig? No? Okay, well, we don't know what's in the ground. Mm -hmm. How do you know if your closing system's working? you got to dig. So... That's that's kind of our advice to you guys is just get out there and dig, you know. If that's the that's the first step in diagnosing any issues, and and that's a great first place to start. And you can learn a lot of stuff about furrow creation and closing, and and even row cleaners by digging. So I really want you guys to start out there. You're going to be able to see what the what the environment is like better than what we can over the phone. Yep. So we can't really make great recommendations unless you know what the seed environment actually is. Yep. Yep. Well, I thank both of you for joining us on the podcast. Nate, it's always great to have you here. Absolutely. 
We've got one more shop hack. I think we're going to have Mr. Justin King on, and he will be following us up right now. I'm joined now in the studio by Justin King. Justin is of Hilltop Planning Solutions. I remembered that, but I I know you're in Colorado. Whereabouts in Colorado are you guys? Burlington, Colorado. Now that you say that, I remember popping that up on the caller ID every time you call. Yep. You bet. Yep. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about your dealership. So we've been a dealer since 2014. Uh, we also farm. I uh, have a couple guys with us that help with both the farm and the, and the dealership as well. Um, and pretty much have done everything since day one. Started off the first year of V-Drive Delta. Okay. We didn't sell any the first year because there was none available, but that's when we started. <laughs> that gives us a time frame. At right. Least. Yeah. So you and I were talking a little bit about some things that maybe you guys have done that you feel like has made you more efficient in the shop. So if you kind of go back over the last couple of years, can you identify anything that you thought, just that, man, this this made us much quicker with installs or could just be that it, it took an unfun job and made it a lot easier. Something along those lines. So there's a couple of things that come to mind. The biggest one is just doing one thing at a time. So in that, like just installing harnessing first or just installing Delta Force first or and brackets or anything like that. One job, one set of tools and not having to do one row at a time. Just do one job all the way through and completion, um, especially like furrow force that comes to mind because there's so many steps that come up with that one, you know, get everything mounted, then mount the wheels. Um, that helped us and really sped that process up instead of having to try to get discombobulated with everything. Um, so what's your process there? Do you guys like pull all of one part out of box yeah. and then put it at each row unit and then you'll go back and install it and then move or it? Or we'll put one box at every row and pull okay. the row unit that we need, pull the part that we need and then install that and then keep moving on. Biggest thing we just kind of discovered was, you know, if you, if you sit there with a little impact and you're switching between socket sizes all the time, it's just wildly mm -hmm. inefficient. So really getting to, to the point where we're just doing one thing, even if it's just as simple as the one bolt in the bottom of the furrow force bracket that takes uh, whatever it is, a 19 or whatever, you know, zipping that in and not switching that impact around. It's easier just to wheel across the whole planter, do that first, and then come back. Um, same thing with even the delta force brackets on the back of the row unit on the W plate. You've got your two little bolts and your one big bolt, right? Like put all the little bolts in and then come back through and put all the big bolts in. Stuff like that that seems simple, but, I mean, it just – didn't we don't have guys using multiple tool, tools or have one guy do one job and then the other guy follow him and do something you know related to that but different i think you called something out too that that's interesting this is this is the process that you process that you use versus i installed everything on one row unit right that you're feeling you guys are more efficient because i stuck with the one tool right did what i needed to do with that one tool across the planner right and then came back yep that's interesting. And same thing with even the lower parallel arm mounts on the Delta Force. You know, that takes a lot of different things that you've got. you got, a, you know, two different sizes of bolts. You've got two different sizes of bushings. You've got a lot going on in that standpoint. Doing that from start to finish was, you know, nice. But not doing that with the, with the back bracket at the same time, I think, probably sped us up because you're not mm -hmm. concentrating on, you know, three different things and get distracted. And it's pretty simple. Absolutely. And then the kind of the other thing that we did is we really started testing more components that we maybe didn't necessarily test before we put them on planners too. So um, 
it eliminated service calls in the first calls for whenever we got guys going. So like V applies, um, not that you have very many of those go bad right out of the box, but still testing that before it goes on the planner. Um, we don't do a lot of meter testing necessarily, but we always make sure they at least have some sort of spinning to them before we do that. Make sure all the lights turn on and everything. Okay. That's eliminated service calls and calls that first day. So this is all, you're doing that basically with, with new components. Yes. We're testing new before we put it on the planner just to make sure we're not going to. We've had a couple of lights go out on the V drive, which seems weird. But that's, I had that call one one time and I'm like, we're never going to do that again. So I'm even thinking about there could be a possibility of, you know, you, you take a harness. It's possible if somebody gets in a hurry and maybe they don't have a pin fully seated on a harness. Right. right? It can happen. All you got to do is push that in, but checking that ahead of time, that first day of planning may save you five, ten minutes. It may save a service call. Right. Right? Yeah. We do the same thing with Delta Force hoses as well. Um, there's a couple tools that we that we actually bought from another dealer. One of them, you can set the whole cylinder in the vise and set your, you know, your 45s up in the cylinders. Okay. And then you can install the whole cylinder in there and not have to tighten anything but the hose onto the cylinder. Okay. That sped that process up. But then we also have somebody go back through right before we fire everything up or a couple days before we fire everything up just with a set of wrenches making sure that every hose is tight. And I bet you we've probably found more <laughs> leaks than you would give yourself credit for, which saves hydraulic oil being over everything. When you told that story, everybody listening just envisioned a mess that they had to clean up at some point yep. because they didn't do that. Yep. The pain of that. Well, is worth doing it. it's it's not a lot of times it's on the forty fives. It's actually your feeder hoses that we okay. found more the issues. Into yep. Because yep. you just get them set up there, then you run them, then you zip time, and you never come back to tighten them, or you forgot one connection. There's always one. I've been there. Yeah. Understand that. Very good, sir. Anything else? Nope. Justin, thank you very much for the time. Thank you.